This week on the Boag World Web Show, we're joined by Fabio Canero, who will be helping us through the horrors of HTML email. This week's show is once again sponsored by the lovely people at Media Temple. Also, Opera are stepping in to help us cover the costs of transcriptions. BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name is Paul Boag and I am joined as always by Marcus Lillington. Hello Marcus. Hello Paul. I am <laughs> feeling very abrupt today for some reason. I don't know it, why. Where are you in the country? This is, my, this is my new fun game. It's your new fun game. I'm actually still in Minehead. Oh, you haven't got very far in a week then. No, we got <laughs> distracted. Because it's because we got relatives down. See, it's a funny thing, isn't it? You, I, I go to I go to Minehead at least once a year to go and see my relatives that live here. Okay. And um and yeah, I never go anywhere in the area. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you never visit the places that you live around. True. Well, some people what? do, but I don't. And so we thought, well, let's explore it. So we've been up on the moor, which has been lovely. Mm-hmm. And Dunster Castle, which is, you know, kind of Americans, I imagine, wet themselves whenever they see Dunster Castle. Um, because it's just, you know, it looks like straight out of Harry Potter. Even to the point where it's got, um, what's the what's the little town that's near um, uh, Hogswa- uh, Hogwarts? I don't know, um, I'm looking up Dunster Castle. Oh yes, that's very... That's it. <laughs> so it's even it's even got the little village with the stone cobbles and you know the whole, the whole work. So we went there and spent a bit of time there. So it's a lovely area. I should be paid by the the West Somerset Tourist Board, really. <laughs> but, but yeah, um, that looks very nice, Paul. It is. It's absolutely stunning. I'll put a link in the show notes to Dunster Castle because it's a National Trust property. I was actually joking. I, I, I tweeted earlier today that you know I now spend my life trundling around in a motorhome. Going to National Trust tea shops. I'm I'm like sixty at the age of forty, aren't I? I've basically prematurely aged. Yeah, I'm not sure what you're meant to do at forty though. What what should you be doing instead that's more appropriate? Because I read that and thought, well, um, uh, well, you're supposed <laughs> going to, to just, work. Yeah, going to work. <laughs> Essentially, basically. I've retired early. <laughs> yes, but I've kind of managed to fit some work in around it as well. <laughs> i'm gonna have to do proper work next month i'm going up to um uh scotland okay. and I, I, for a whole month i'm working up there so we're taking the family up and we're going to explore scotland a bit which is cool so okay. that's all, all cool. very exciting hey there's something really important i want to talk to you about really yeah i need your opinion okay <laughs> okay because i watched the apple keynote that came out uh on monday so that shows where have you have you seen the apple the spanish apple engineer video oh i laughed my 
ass off at that. That's Link- got to be the funniest thing I've seen for a very, very long time. I l- put a link- <laughs> I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. Yeah, talking about the MacBook Pro <laughs> yeah. or MacBook and their decision to remove all the ports. Yeah. <laughs> that was- <laughs> it just it makes me laugh just thinking about it. I what I want to know is what he was originally talking about before they subtitled him. I know, because you've never seen someone laugh so much, have you? Oh, yeah. my word, did they laugh. So that <laughs> Anyway, was yes, your opinion. Yeah, my no, no, opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you're a watch lover, right? Yeah. You would spend a lot of money on watches if you had a lot of money. Yeah. So... It's like, and, and, and you've got really good taste in watches and you, uh, you know, I've seen you point out gorgeous watches in magazines and every time we go to an airport, you're always taking me and showing me the watch. Yeah. Uh, would you, would you really pay 10 grand for an Apple watch made with gold? I wouldn't, no. I don't think it, I, I just don't, I get positioning the Apple watch as like, you know, a kind of everyday watch, I kind of get. But gold? And mm. it, it's not... It's just damn ugly compared to the gorgeous watches you like. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really like any watches in gold, so I'm probably the wrong ah. person to ask. Because you can buy, you know, Rolex do gold versions of their steel ones, and I think the steel ones look way better, and they're a tenth of the price. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, no-brainer then. Same thing applies with the Apple Watch, really. But but I thought you were going to ask me, should should you buy an Apple Watch? Well, no, I think, because that's a slightly different thing. You like, the difference is, is I like technology, so yeah. I'll buy the Apple Watch just because it's a piece of technology and it does cool things. But you buy... That's you, where we disagree, because I don't think it really does anything particularly cool. Well, there are certain things I like about it. There were there were things like... Tell the um, time. <laughs> it tells the time. Yeah, the radical. <laughs> no, it, it was the things like, um, if I'm at home, I don't have to have my iPhone with me the whole time. That it, Basically, if I'm on the same Wi-Fi network, I can... You know, I can answer calls and I can talk to Siri and I can reply to texts and stuff without having to have the iPhone in my pocket the whole time. You can answer calls on your phone? Yeah, you can, really? answer, yeah, you can answer calls on your iPhone um, and speak to people that way. And you can, you know, you can ask Siri questions and that kind of stuff. So, so, so you, if you've got a call through your watch, you meant watch then, didn't you? Then you've got the person speaking to you out of your wrist. Yes. Mm, not sure about that. But anyway, that wasn't what I was going to ask. <laughs> okay. It's, it's whether you think it's a nice piece of aesthetic design or not. I, I actually do, yes. You do? And no, a, a lot of people don't, and I'm kind of like, I actually quite like its kind of lumpy roundness. Right. Um, I, I need to see it in the flesh need to put it on my wrist and then yeah. I can answer that question properly because of course they take the best photographs that are, you know best product photos of any company yeah. and they make it look just right and they I, I imagine it's a bit chunky because um, you know the, a, a really good mechanical watch uh, or even more so a good quartz watch they can make them so thin yeah and so light um, you know, that's part of the, you know, the, the, the appeal of them. But I am, my concern with the Apple Watch, aesthetically, is it'll be a bit chunky and a bit unpleasant to wear because of that. Yeah. But I quite, like, I quite like the squareness of it, which I think a lot of people don't, but I quite like that. 
See, somebody, uh, I was reading a uh, watchmaker's opinion of it, and, mm. and he said it fails the cuff test. Your cuff doesn't easily go over the surface of the watch because it gets caught on it. Yeah, well, well, that's why they've made it so rounded, I'm yeah. sure. Because if, 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 if they'd made it more kind of like, um, you know, the iPhone 5 with its kind of sharp edges, um, then it would, it would do that even more so. I'm sure that's why they've done it. But that tells me, yes, it's really thick and you don't yeah. want a watch that sticks out. And also, I've got to say, you know, I think I can understand spending a lot of money on a precision timekeeping piece, you know, uh, know, with all of the the, the incredible intricacies of the the kind of handmade, um, you know, complex internal workings and all of that. Which they genuinely are, these watches. Yeah, they're amazing pieces of engineering. Yeah. But but paying ten grand for essentially what is a shrunk down iPhone that's strapped on your wrist, I don't know. It just it felt. I know it's more than that, but it it, it just felt wrong. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, but you know, I, you know, you can apply that to anything. Why would you spend a million pounds on a car? Um, because you can buy an amazing car for probably 50 grand. Yeah. Um, so what's the point of spending a million? Well, it's, if you've got that kind of money, then it's exclusivity, isn't it? I mean, it's not, a, that's not a direct comparison, obviously, but, um, yeah, perhaps perhaps College Humor were right about this because they they um they released a, a video. I'll see if I can find that in the show notes as well. God, I'm going to regret this. Um, <laughs> that that basically um summed it up perfectly. That yeah, you know, that spending ten thousand dollars or whatever it is on on the high end watches was a time saving thing. You know, it, it's a productivity enhancement because essentially you don't need to tell people how rich you are anymore. <laughs> they could just look at your wrist. <laughs> and exactly. it gets, gets things done yeah yeah exactly but then uh, if in that case i would rather have a gold mechanical watch they, but i still don't like the gold ones I, I i just think that um i guess you could have a platinum one that would be even worth more but it would kind of look more like a steel one but steel steel in watches looks good i think yeah i must admit it, it, it really i would like the steel the stainless steel watch that you know that they're doing near the apple watch but i'm too tight because i don't i don't i'm not convinced that i really really want this watch yet yeah. and i'm also I- thinking the second generation is going to be half the thickness so this one i think i'm just going to get the the kind of cheapo end watch more from a kind of i have these gadgets and try them out point of view than necessarily convinced it has a space in my life yet i wouldn't even bother with that paul I would just wait. Go go in and have a play in one and play with one in an Apple store. Go, oh, that's really thick and ugly, and I don't like it, and it's uncomfortable. Put it back, save your money, and wait till they bring out a better one. Yeah, but I've got this feeling. I've got this feeling it's going to be a bit like the iPad. That until you live with it on a daily basis, you're not going to realise how useful it is. Mm. You know, going into a going into a shop. We eventually will get onto the point of this podcast. But anyway, <laughs> going into going into a shop and having a little fiddle with it is not the same as you know uh, sitting in your lounge and you've left your iPhone upstairs and you you know you want to know who that actor is on TV or being out and about you know driving along in the car and um you get an email and you're wondering whether it's from that really important client or not and you can just glance at your wrist you you know until you live with it i think there's a there's a difference i'm not convinced because those those things yeah okay 
it might they, they sound sort of vaguely useful things but the fact that you have to wear this thing doesn't make it th- those the those scenarios you just described aren't enough for me to want to put on something that's heavy and uncomfortable yeah that's the key is how heavy and uncomfortable it feels yeah because i have a very low tolerance for watches actually Mm. um you know i don't wear a watch normally because they irritate me well you do so you know i think uh, yeah i'm certainly going to go and try it on i won't be pre-ordering it no, I'll go and try it on, go, no, big chunky, and to be honest, I think all I would use it for is telling the time. You're just getting <laughs> grumpy and old, that's your trouble. Yes, so at least I don't spend say... my life in tea shops. <laughs> I asked for that. <laughs> all right, should we get on with the show then? Who's on this week, Paul? Who's on this week? Fabio, um, oh, I see, now I'm going to get my computer to tell me how to say say his <laughs> name properly. Here we go. It's not doing it. It's Great, not, that's, it? that's really good. I can't help you because I didn't do this interview. So I, I'm, I'm terrified. I, I'm terrified. I'm going to get his name wrong because it's a cool name. It's obviously an Italian name. All right, and I want to. I want to do it justice. All right, here we go. Okay. Let's see what my computer says. Fabio Conero. Fabio did you get that? I did. Fabio Conero. Fabio Conero. There we go. He's he's on the show. Had very very. I I can't decide whether he is absolutely insane. <laughs> or one of the coolest people I've ever met. And I'll tell you why when we get on to talking to him. But before we get to that, I do want to quickly mention our sponsor, because we have a new sponsor. Ooh. A new person is, um, uh, uh, or organisation, should I say, is supporting the transcriptions of our podcast. Okay, and, cool. And, and it's opera. Oh, good. So this is Bruce. You know Bruce Wilson yes. that we had on the show? Yeah, of course. So I, I, I knocked it, you know, I basically said, Bruce, Bruce. In return for coming on the show. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, you know, he's always been a big fan of accessibility. And so I thought, what a brilliant person to talk to about sponsoring the transcription. And, of course, Opera are great. They're a really great bunch over there. And so they leapt on it immediately. Um, there's an, um, Opera's an interesting one for me. I'm, like everybody, it, 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 um, it's got it's amazing browser that has some really cool stuff, but often you overlook it because of the bigger names that are more you're more familiar with. I mean, one of the just to give you an example of of why I like Opera so much, and um, is that they update it every six weeks. They're constantly innovating with it. So Opera twenty eight has just been released, and it's got some really cool stuff in it. Um, it's got. Um, uh, 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 some uh, a great compression thing built into it, um, which, which is called Opera Turbo, which will compress large assets on your site, so they lo- they load a lot faster over slower networks, which is is such a useful thing, um, and yet so so often we kind of just overlook it because oh it's not chrome or it's not safari or whatever and that's a really great feature it's also got things like um uh speed dial um it's got some great visual bookmarks so you can actually easily share share your bookmarks with other people um and it's obviously it syncs its bookmarks automatically with opera mobile and opera mini um and it's got a great discover feature which allows you to find out latest news or find interesting new content um, uh, and then it's got loads of kind of security extensions and cool stuff built into it, which um, 
just makes the site so much um, oh, sorry sites so much more secure for you and it's got loads and loads of extensions and side panels and and all kinds of things that are really very unique and unusual um, and stuff that you're not finding on other uh, other browsers yet so often I think we kind of dismiss it especially as web designers as oh it's another browser I've got to support but actually it's, it's built on the same blink rendering engine as Chrome so it's highly compatible um, and it's across every operating system. And we're going to get onto f- in future shows about how Opera works um, on mobile. And it's just, it, it's quite mind blowing that where Opera is and how big Opera is when we don't realize it as web designers because we're not yet necessarily using it day to day ourselves. So it's definitely something we should be testing with. And I think it's something um, that I'm increasingly tempted to be using as my main browser. Because of its lightning speed, I tell you what, especially um, with traveling in in the um, in the motorhome, not that it always comes back to that. But when you're on the road and you're using a cellular network to connect to your laptop, having a browser that does a load of compression for you and brings stuff down much quicker and that uses less of your data allowance is bloody useful. I have to say, mm. I have so, a confession. What's that? I haven't even got it on my machine. Have you not? No. Well, how can you test stuff that people send to you? I don't test on Opera. Nah, you don't <laughs> test on Opera? I don't, personally. Oh, but somebody, it's done, one presumes. Otherwise, one pres- I'm just very one, disappointed in Headscape. One presumes, yes. Uh, one yeah, presumes. Definitely, definitely. Um, You know, I, I know that Dan does, but I've just like... Pff, I mean, I've got... I, I open Firefox probably twice a year. Yeah, I like, know. Pff, so what's the main browser you use then? Um, Safari and Chrome. I use right. Both. Okay. So. Well, before next week's show, you've got to install Opera. I will, yes. And you've got to, in fact, so's all our listeners, and give it a go. And honestly, give me honest feedback via Twitter, right? No, but you, Marcus, you're allowed to talk to me directly. So I'm not going to do that, Paul. No. I, you I'll be, talk to you. I'll tell you. You can talk to me when we do the podcast. But if other people have actually gone and downloaded it and try out, give me honest feedback. and um, Because I'm really interested in, in um, what people think of it as a, as a browser. Because I have to say, my until I came to do this with Bruce, I'm sorry, Bruce. But until Bruce came on the show, I hadn't looked at Opera for a long, long time, other than for, you know, briefly open it, test it, close it again. Mm. And I been quite impressed by the amount of cool stuff that's that's come into it over the years that i was just totally unaware of mm. anyway so everybody has to go and download it to give it a go and you can download it at boagworld.com forward slash opera and we'll all discuss it over the next week on twitter and you face to face with you marcus well not face to face but you know what i mean yeah one anyway. day maybe when you yeah. when you're back in in the land of the living well i'm only back very briefly before going up to scotland so well, after that i'm going to make you come into the office well, do you have to yes i don't want to see you lot again i thought yeah, i got you rid do. of you you do because then you can go out and have lunch with us oh that's quite good so now now suddenly it's a good thing suddenly it's a good thing yeah i like that <laughs> anyway should we do our interview yeah so we're interviewing fabio um i'm not going to say his surname again i've done it once and that's it um who's from mailchimp um and look i know this is sounding a bit like a mailchimp fest this season because we've got aaron walters on and we've got fabio on and we've had them as a sponsor but it's not my fault they keep doing cool stuff (laughs) and and honestly i booked the interviews way before i ever knew that they were going to sponsor the show so yeah yeah, no no it's not dodgy (laughs) so um 
yeah, I said that Fabio was either mad or brilliant. Mm. And the reason I said that is because Fabio, for a living, produces new email newsletter templates. So oh, right, okay. He has to be either insane or one of the most impressive people I've ever met because doing H, producing HTML newsletter templates is, is a nightmare. Um, and Marcus, uh, you must have kind of asked a designer at some point to build an HTML newsletter template, and I bet yeah, you it wasn't. I say, a, can, can, do you, can you remember the designing the table stuff that we bashed out of you years ago? Um, <laughs> can we... Um, can, could you possibly um, do some... T- yeah, they all go, no, don't make me, don't make me. And then, what do I need to test this on is always the next question. Yeah, 63 different mail clients. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then you've got to deal with spam filters. I know, it's just, it's just horrible. But Fabio is the guy that's going to help us through it because he spends his day building HTML email templates. So um, here's Fabio. Um, and, uh, yeah... I, I'm I'm quite rude to him at the beginning, but I think he understood what I was getting at. Hi, Fabio. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's it's really exciting to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on. So uh, you've got possibly the worst job in web design. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Is that uh, is that deeply offensive? I it it, it doesn't offend me. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a bit more, I suppose, pragmatic about it. I, I don't think it's the worst job. <laughs> it's certainly one of the more challenging jobs. I um, mean, you must. I guess you must find it satisfying to work with with emails all the time and work around those those challenges. You're obviously one of these people that, given half a chance, would you know, kind of climb mountains for the sake of it and things like that. Uh, yeah, perhaps so. I mean, I, yeah. The, be perfectly honest, I do love it. Um, I love the challenge of it. I, I like how constricting and difficult it can be at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just makes you know the, the payoff when you get when you get it right that much more uh, satisfying. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. So, I mean, what I've kind of you've got to start with the probably most fundamental of questions, which is why are email clients so terrible and and is there any hope that they're ever going to get better <laughs> uh well uh th- the reason why they're so terrible kind of goes back along uh yeah i'd say a long way uh so you know if if you're a web designer in this modern age you kind of already know the story of the rise of web standards and the achievement of parity between browsers, you know, they work differently here and there, but, you know, IE 10, 11 uh, is pretty much as good as Chrome, and that's, as, you know, pretty much as good as uh, Firefox, and they all work similarly at this point in time. Uh, that kind of, uh, I guess, leveling of the playing field never really happened in the world of email. Uh, because it's actually much more uh, fracturous than uh, mm. the the browser landscape ever was. Um, right now, I think the count of, uh, I'd say you could call them major email clients, uh, somewhere around, uh, last time I checked for MailChimp at least, we have uh, about 38 different oh. email clients that uh, we try to account for. Uh, Really, the, they're 
there's only like a, a small handful that kind of rule the roost, as it were, uh, across the planet. You know, Microsoft Outlook, uh, Gmail, uh, Yahoo, Hotmail. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's split between desktop and uh, webmail and mobile. Um, but I think the biggest reason why that technology hasn't moved forward um, is primarily because, and I hate to pick on them because I really root for Microsoft, but it is kind of Microsoft's fault. Um, Microsoft Outlook, uh, strangely enough, uh, so back in 2007, um, Microsoft, you know, re-architected Outlook uh, for the desktop and they switched the rendering engine of that email client from one that was based on IE6 uh, to one that was based on the word rendering engine. <laughs> I remember this. It's like the totally the wrong direction, isn't it? It was just oh, incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and at least from our point of view, it was wrong. If you put yourself in the shoes of an employee at Microsoft, maybe an employee with a vested interest in what Outlook does, um, their idea was that you know Outlook was part of the office suite, and so the idea there was that you should be able to create your email in Microsoft Word mm-hmm. and send it to your company via Microsoft Outlook to other employees who would then look at it in Microsoft Outlook, and you know that closed ecosystem. You can kind of imagine that you know the email would look right. Um, unfortunately, the world doesn't run on Microsoft uh, Microsoft's Office suite. Not mm-hmm. really. The internet certainly doesn't. Um, so you know the lack of support for basic CSS and you know HTML uh, really kind of held email back there uh, because Outlook is just so incredibly uh, prevalent the world over. Um, in Mailchimp's case, I believe uh, Outlook 2010 is our, uh, I believe, number four largest client. Oh, right. Um, you know, and that's across hundreds of millions of users. Yeah. And that's just Mailchimp the world over. It's certainly almost always in the top five, um, if not the top ten. Uh, but, you know, you can't just lay the blame on Microsoft. Uh Google is also a little bit um, guilty here. Um, for their part, they, you know, Gmail supports uh, HTML and CSS fairly well, but Gmail does some strange things, like uh, their code parser strips the style tag or the head tag from the, the HTML document that the email is built out of, um, and that forces you to inline CSS and you know just do some odd things. Uh, it's kind of just this perfect storm of all of these different clients not following standards, doing things their own way, which then kind of forces you as an email developer or designer to kind of design to the lowest common denominator. I mean, is this going to get better? Are there standards and is there discussion about adopting those? Uh, there's discussion um, <laughs> I don't sense a lot of hope in your voice there. No, and you know maybe I'm I'm playing the pessimist here, but uh, there is a discussion. Uh, it's just you know this group of people that came together and are using the 
W3C working group forums uh, to talk about this. Uh, they're talking about, you know, a new kind of standard system for email that's separate from web standards and, you know, handles things differently because technologically email is separate from the web. Yeah. Um, my problem with that approach is that standards bodies are not known for moving quickly. <laughs> uh, especially when a new standard has to be created. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think that I, I'm a, I'm a believer in that to get a lot of things done, it's okay to take the path of least resistance and work yeah. from there. And for email, the path of least resistance is to just, uh, stick with the standards we've got, which are web standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would leave kind of the bulk of the work to be done on the email client side. So convincing, you know, Gmail or rather Google to um, bring Gmail up to spec and to follow standards and to stop making us inline CSS. And it would it's up to, you know, Microsoft to move Word, or rather uh, Outlook, off that Word engine uh, and onto a proper HTML rendering engine. Um, and I actually think that that is more achievable, at least in the next, you know, five or ten years, uh, than building an email standard from the ground up, you know, with all the arguments that that entails and all of the you know, experimentation and back and forth and everything. Um, I do think it's getting better. Uh, Gmail, I know, is uh, actually looking into it. Um, They've said as much uh, here and there, uh, especially when uh, they launched Inbox, there were all sorts of questions going back and forth, whether um, Inbox supported, you know, media queries and things like that. And it doesn't. Um, not yet, but uh, the guys at Google did say that that was something they were working on. And uh, you know, for <clears throat> my part, I, I try and reach out uh, to people at Google and Microsoft and kind of you know light a bit of a fire if I can, or at least bring the issues to uh, to the forefront. Um, Microsoft, I think, is going to be a bigger problem uh, just because. As I said, like, you know, to them, Outlook is part of the Office suite, and the Office suite is, you know, part of Microsoft's bread and butter. Uh, the world kind of runs on it uh, as far as business goes. So I think the incentive for them to change it is is certainly lesser. Um, and I, I guess the other problem as well is that, you know, unlike something like G, uh, Gmail, even if they do change it, it could be years before you get into a position where you could make use of all of that because, you know, there's people aren't updating their systems. Yes, yeah, and um, that's certainly an issue there. You know, gosh, if you just look at Android usage, you know, mm. so many people are still way back on Android 2. Point, what was it, 2.2? 2. 2. Uh, I think that was Gingerbread. And, you know, we're up at Android 4.4 now. Um, and I think that problem is 
is worse when you look at desktop clients like Microsoft Outlook. So, you know, I said that Outlook 2010 was one of our bigger clients, um, but right up there with it, you know, it's Outlook 2007 and Outlook 2002. They are still hugely used the world over. Yeah. Um, so, sorry. It's, I'm, sorry. Okay. No, no, oh, it's just, uh, you know, um, it's a complicated uh, landscape. Absolutely. So, I mean, getting down to the kind of practicalities of what all of that landscape means, what are, what are the things that, you know, your average web designer needs to understand about HTML email? You know, what can you do? What can't you do? You know, for example, I was really surprised to discover that, you know, there's nothing to stop you using web fonts with some email clients. Um, so uh, is it almost a degree of progressive enhancement again? Oh, yeah, I'd say that uh, that's hugely, hugely uh, important in the email. Um, and, you know, a lot of people say that uh, email is, you know, is stuck in the late 90s and it's, you know, you'll have to go back and think in tables and build in tables. And for that part, that is absolutely true. You do have to do that. Um but the stuff that you can do with tables is actually uh, fairly impressive, and you can get away with a lot of modern design, uh, you know, even if you do have to use it. And it's just that case of, yeah, you might have to you know, build the foundations of an email uh, in these kind of you know, decades-old techniques, but you can absolutely you know, follow that principle of progressive enhancement to... Uh, Use web fonts, CSS animations, uh, you know, HTML5 video, all that kind of stuff. It's you're really only limited uh, by what each individual email client supports. Hmm. Um, and at this point, you know, so much of the world um, is mobile. Like you know, they're using iOS or uh, Android systems, uh, fairly modern browsers, things like that. Um, that you can get away with quite a bit of that. Um, there's a there's Litmus. Uh, they're an email analytics company uh, based in Boston. Uh, they've got an email designer there, uh, Kevin Manderville, who um, really kind of always pushes the boundaries of what's possible uh, in email. It's you know, and for anybody who says you know email is thoroughly stuck in the past, I would urge them to check out some of his emails and, you know, some other people. There's a company, Action Rocket, in uh, London who sends some pretty impressive stuff as well uh, that, you know, includes CSS3 animations, all this kind of good stuff that we get in the web that you think is just absolutely impossible in email when really it just it depends on the client. You know, it might fail in Outlook 2010, but you can provide, you know, the a baseline experience there and just enhance for iOS and Android systems. That's that's really interesting that, that you know, progressive enhancement is even more important in some ways in email than it is on the web. And and yeah, that that it's good to good to hear about that. Um the other thing that I was gonna ask is so so you build you build stuff basically in tables like the good old days where I actually understood what was going on. Yeah. Uh, and 
but you can layer in all of these additional things on top of it. Great, wonderful. But then you come to the point of testing. How the hell do you test? Yeah, so uh, for me, and I, this is kind of what I recommend to people who ask me the question. Um, for me, there's no replacement for practical hands-on testing. Uh, so, you know, let's say you're just getting started kind of doing this. Um, either, you know, you open up an account on every uh, webmail service you can, so Gmail, Hotmail, or I guess it's Outlook.com now, uh, Yahoo, AOL, um, and, you know, you can set the emails to forward from one account to the rest. Um, and then build a, a device lab. Um, I know that can get expensive, but, you know, you can actually put together a fairly decent device lab, you know, with uh, an iPhone 4 at the very least, um, uh, you know, a couple of Android handsets, one for uh, Android 2 and, the, uh, you know, the other for Android 4. Um, you can do VMware for and you know, find yourself a copy of a Outlook 2000 or 2007. Um, and all of that can be done. Uh, boy, it's been a while since I, I looked at the cost, but uh, it was roughly like between five and, yeah, about five or six hundred bucks for, uh, you know, a, a fairly comprehensive set of devices. Uh, and it's a one time cost. And, you know, it, it allows you the freedom to actually send and look at something across these devices and actually see um, exactly what they're doing and get into the code if you need to. Um, of course, that cost is, you know, it can be steep for, for some people uh, and it could just be possible that they can't get their hands on, you know, all those devices. Um so there are other options. I mentioned Litmus earlier. They are um, kind of well known for uh, their testing platform, in which you know they they emulate just tons and tons of email clients, um, mm-hmm. and you can just kind of send your email to them once uh, and just watch as you know these uh, screenshots are generated of your email in let's say like. Outlook.com in Firefox versus Outlook.com in Chrome versus um, Outlook 2007 or, you know, Gmail on Android, things like that. Um, Which I use that in combination with just a more practical, hands-on approach just to get kind of uh, the clients and devices that I wouldn't spend money on, like a BlackBerry or something like that. Yeah. And that's really interesting. I hadn't even thought about not only have you got to worry about all the different email clients, you've got to worry about the different browsers viewing the different email clients. So Gmail on Chrome, Gmail on Firefox, etc. Yeah, it gets unwieldy very quickly. Um, it's uh, so I'm looking at a. I just did kind of a. a a report over just clients all across every MailChimp list, and I'm looking at 62 different clients. Gee um, whiz. Yeah, so it, it's there's a lot to look at. <laughs> so, I mean, are there, there are certain big no-nos? Are there certain things that you just think steer clear of that one? 
Um, yeah, there's you know there are some uh, CSS properties that are really poorly supported kind of across the board. Uh, things like floats and positioning uh, generally don't work. There's a you know small number of handsets that uh, do support that. So you know iOS will do it, and Apple Mail will will do it, dependent on kind of what element you apply the float or positioning to. But outside of maybe one or two, it it kind of just fails everywhere. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, and, and that's actually another tricky bit um, about kind of styling or using CSS and email is that um, not only is it dependent on kind of what client you're viewing it in, uh, you also have to contend with what element, what HTML element the CSS is used on. Uh-huh. So, uh, for instance, um, Padding, uh, you know, not necessarily the most exotic of uh, <laughs> CSS properties, uh, doesn't work on uh, in Outlook. On uh, let's say if you were trying to put padding on a, a P tag or something like that, or an anchor tag, um, it fails. But padding works totally fine on let's say a TD. Um, you know, and margin kind of works the same way. And then you kind of get into these weird hacky things where if you capitalize the word margin, uh, margin actually works yeah. in outlook.com, but does not work if you just use, you know, the standard lowercase uh, syntax. Uh, <laughs> and it's just, that's because, you know, their 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 code sanitizer probably isn't, Expect to look for this uh, capitalization, and so it doesn't look at it, and or rather, it looks at it and says, "I don't know what this is," and it doesn't clean out that that margin. But it, there's, um, you know, there's, like you said, there's a couple of, you know, as far as styling goes, styling no nos, um, but really, it's such a case by case kind of thing, uh, which right. is why testing an email is so hugely important. Um, which is why it's so difficult for a lot of people because it's got such a steep learning curve. Absolutely. Um, that until you kind of know these things by rote, you know, at, at this point, this kind of knowledge is just ingrained and taking up valuable space in my head. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're new to it, uh, that is a landscape that can only be described as hell. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, what's the solution? Because, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously the solution is MailChimp. We know this. But, you know, <laughs> is that what it basically boils down to, using a system that handles a lot of this kind of stuff for you? Because if you're a, you know, a web designer and a client asks you to build a newsletter template, mm-hmm. you know, you're doomed, basically, aren't you? <laughs> well, it, it depends how much work you want to put into it. Um, so, yeah, you know, I... I work for Mailchimp, so I, I and I put the emails together myself, and I know that you know they they are stable and robust, and they work across a variety of clients. Um, but you know, other email service providers, you know, are are good as well. Um, but ultimately, you don't get the kind of design freedom if you're just a hardcore designer and you have mm-hmm. a client who wants you know very specific things. Um, your only option is to kind of build it yourself, you know. Uh, but at least to that end, um, 
there's actually plenty of code out there that you can, um, I believe, uh, HTML email boilerplate is one of them. Oh. Uh, we provide a GitHub repository uh, of email templates, uh, and I actually uh, have a, a reference site. It's uh, templates.mailchimp.com. Okay, I'll put a link in the show notes to that one. Yeah, uh, and that's, I like to describe it as my brain in website form. Uh, it's <laughs> everything I know about email. Um, there's plenty of code in there and examples and things like that and uh, to help people puzzle out. Um, and, oh gosh, let's see, there's another one, uh, responsiveemailpatterns.com is another. Okay. Uh, by this guy, uh, Brian Graves. Uh, he works at uh, an agency called DEG. Um, here in the U.S., and uh, he's done a lot of, you know, kind of interesting work uh, with pattern libraries for email and things like that. Um, Litmus has some uh, some email code as well, uh, you know, and, and there are quite a few other uh, frameworks and all that. Wow. Um, so there's there's certainly there are tools now that. Uh, I mean, when I started uh, at MailChimp, uh, I guess it was roughly just over five years ago now, five and a half years ago, um, none of this existed. Uh, I was kind of dropped into it blind, and I had never built uh, an email in my life. <laughs> and I think I was I was here, I think it was maybe two months, and our CEO kind of uh, and other people said, you know, there's nobody here who is actually taking care of these emails Congratulations, it's you. <laughs> uh, and so I, I kind of got, uh, I, I had to learn all this stuff, you know, really the hard way. There were maybe one or two blogs that were sparsely updated with, oh, hey, this, you know, we found out this doesn't work in Outlook. Um, but all this kind of knowledge, I kind of had to build out myself. And to tell you the truth, it kind of sucked. I, I did not enjoy uh, email design back then. Um, and so kind of my goal for templates.mailchimp.com and, you know, our GitHub code repo and um, all these other folks kind of putting this knowledge together is to make it easier for everybody else. So, mm. you know, if if you have to do it on your own and you maybe don't want to be tied to, like, the more simple email editors that, you know, ESPs provide... Um, then there are certainly options. There's a lot of code out there that you can dig into. Uh, it it still kind of requires you to climb that you know steep uh, slope of difficulty to get started, but uh, it's certainly possible. I mean, I've got to say, you know, the the um, design builder tool that you guys provide is I just think is remarkable. That you know that that gives you quite a, a degree of flexibility, really, doesn't it? Considering well, A, considering the the complexity of building an application like that and B, considering the, the sheer number of um, different clients out there. But I'll tell you the one thing that always makes me a bit nervous with that, um, the kind of design building template tool that you provide is, mm-hmm. is when I start putting images into it, that I know that a lot of clients seem to disable images by default i mean how do you deal with that kind of thing yeah so um i there are a few different ways first and foremost uh, and i'd say most emails that are sent 
fail on this count is uh, to have you know have your email have plenty of uh, textual content and not <laughs> yeah. just be just all images. You know, most retailers I think uh, send an email that is either just one large image or just series of images. And when you get that email and say Outlook uh, desktop where images are off by default, you see nothing. Yeah. Uh, because And Outlook doesn't even support alt text. Um, <laughs> so you just kind of get these blank tiles that tell you absolutely nothing and have a little message in them that says, you know, click here to show this image. Yeah. Um, so... I think having a good balance of text content and images is like first and foremost, that's kind of like the baseline. Um, on top of that, you know, for clients that do support all text, all text on every image is mm-hmm. kind of like a big deal. Um, and you can do a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I've seen people, you know, animate all text or <laughs> you could certainly style it and all of that. Um, and so, yeah, those are kind of the the biggest ways to kind of get around that. Um, I do like that. I like the idea of being able to style alt attributes. That's kind of quite cool. Yeah, um, you know, they they just take the uh, the text style that um, you either that you place on the image. Um, so you know, you can on the image tag inline, you know, font family Helvetica, all that kind right. of stuff. And it shows up kind of the way it's a nice fallback. Yeah, it is. That's good. Hey, we've concentrated a lot on the kind of design elements and the the nightmare of of, of rendering emails. But of course, mm-hmm. there's another huge issue when it comes to email marketing and, and producing email newsletters and that kind of stuff, which is spam folders. And, you know, actually getting the email into people's inboxes in the first place. What's the deal with that? How do you how do you go about preventing your email ending up in a spam folder? Uh, so that uh, kind of comes down to content as well. But uh, that includes like subject lines, all of that. Um, kind of one of the uh, more uh, important bits is, uh, you know, if your if your subject line says something like you know free in all caps or click now, um, you're almost certainly doomed from the start. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, if you're missing something like an unsubscribe link, uh, things like so, there are services that kind of look for that, look for those words, or uh, you know, have people that actually look through emails and and look for kind of these things missing. Um, it, the, oh boy, there, you know, a lot of it is grammatical. Um, really? You know, if you're adding, you know, 10 exclamation marks at the end of a sentence, uh, that is, you know, basically screams spam uh, yeah. to these spam filters. Um, using kind of a, Strange enough, like bright red colored fonts or like bright green, um, that kind of sets that can set them off. And you know, all of these things. Um, generally, it's not you. You use red font in your email once, and it's going to end up in spam. Uh, all these things kind of are assigned point values in some uh, spam filters. Okay. So, 
that kind of um, adds up. And once you hit a certain threshold, that you know that tells them like, okay, well, this is certainly suspicious. Um, other bits of content too, like uh, there are some things that are just ultimately always doomed. Uh, if you are trying to pitch mortgages, pretty much every email you send uh, is is going to wind up in spam filters. Really? Just because that's such a huge kind of a, a subject matter in spam. Uh, anything like having to do with, uh, you know, uh, tons of money or like a, a you know, a guaranteed $3,000 a month kind of thing yeah, that, yeah. you know, we're, we're kind of used to seeing at this point. Um, so what about the, because uh, I naively thought that spam filters worked primarily off of who was sending them, the IP address it was coming from. How big a deal is that in the, the algorithm? Yeah, that's actually a very important part as well. Um, you know, IPs have a reputation. Uh, right. And the, the best email services really strive to uh, keep their IPs clean. Mm. And so uh, for our part, you know, we're very aggressive about uh, preventing spammers from using an IP that we have because that damages that IP's relationship. And, you know, once an IP is kind of sullied enough, it'll get blacklisted or at the very least it'll, you know, be looked at as a, a constant source for spam. Yeah. Um, and so that's certainly uh, kind of like uh, the, I'd say that's the other half of the equation, right? That's yeah. kind of the, apart from the user side of things. Um, if you're, if an email service provider has, you know, a very, I guess, a very good reputation as far uh, across their IPs, you're, you're okay. But um, it can be that, uh, you know, uh, it, it does happen sometimes that you like one bad sender on an IP dependent on the size of, you know, how many emails are coming off that IP and everything. But yeah. uh, one bad sender could spoil the entire IP for everybody. Uh, and that's why so many companies are so, um, to fight so hard to, yeah. against spammers. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm always very conscious, you know, when I unsubscribe from um, an email that's come via MailChimp, you know, you <laughs> you always ask, you know, is this spam? You know, why have, why have you unsubscribed? And I guess that that's why then. Yeah, um, you know, and that's... That's an important thing to people. You know, are uh, not everybody, but I've I've heard the argument that you know maybe you shouldn't make the unsubscribe link so easy to see or so easy to get to uh, because you know it might be you, you don't want to lose a person, but mm. it's actually you know much worse to have somebody unable to find an unsubscribe link and just mark you as spam yeah. than to just lose a subscriber. Um, if you're losing subscribers, uh, you know, that's something that's on you. You're, you're not doing something quite right. Either your content is irrelevant or, you know, you're just sending people junk. Um, and that, you know, it, it, it's got so much to do with permission and just, that's the thing about, I guess, uh, emails about building relationships. Um, it, that's so 
hugely important. Um, that you know, it, it's it's okay for you to lose some subscribers while you're tuning kind of what you're sending out until you figure it out and you know build them back up and send something that people want. Um, I think is a it's a tougher road, but ultimately it's much easier than being you know kind of labeled a a spammer and having to move from ESP to ESP and trying to find a home so you can keep sending your emails. Yeah, and it's a pointless exercise as well. It's like everything, isn't it? You know, you want to make that conversion rate as high as you possibly can. You know, it makes sense. Right. So um, thank you so much. That absolutely great stuff. A really nice insight. Now, you could you do me a favor? Sure. You've, you've mentioned so many great resources there. It would be great if you could drop me an email with a load of those in. Um, Absolutely. And then, then I can include them in the show notes so people can get all of them rather than trying to pick through a podcast, which is always difficult. Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, I'll have, happily do that. Excellent. Thank you very much, Fabio. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Great to talk about what is a minefield, to be honest. And uh, I still have huge respect for you working in what is a very <laughs> challenging area. So thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun. So I think we have to conclude he was a genius. There we go. Yes. What an amazing guy. I I wouldn't want to do his job. I think it's fine. Can you turn off WhatsApp, please, Marcus? (laughs) It's my friends. They're all buzzing me saying, is it Friday? Yes, it's Friday, I said. That's the worst thing to say, isn't it? Yeah, that's (laughs) right. Now, do you know, you actually made me look then. (laughs) I got all excited for a minute. Well, no, because I still got all the work to do. It doesn't go away, does it? No, and, uh, and, and you're semi-retired now anyway, so... I am, yeah. So what difference does it make? What, Monday Monday don't mean anything to me. Who, who sang that? That was uh, Alabama 3. There you go. There you go. I have no idea what you're talking about now. I imagine <laughs> that's something music-related. It is music-related, yes. So before we hear your terrible joke, yeah. it comes to something when the sponsor bit is more exciting than the content of the podcast, doesn't it? That I'm more excited about talking about Media Temple than I am listening to your joke. That's very hurtful, Paul. I know. It was meant to be. So so I thought I'd share a little bit about the hosting platform I use at Media Temple. Because we talked about WordPress one last week, but that's not what I use, although I think that might be what I need to be using. But anyway, that's another story. Um, At the minute, I use their DV service, which is basically a managed virtual private um, service. So you have your own virtual private server. Yeah. uh, and they are, they are so fast. It's unbelievable. Since moving across to that, I have had no problems with performance on Boag World at all. And I used to it used to be up and down like a yo-yo my site because when I you know when I uh, produced a particularly um, uh, interesting post that get passed around a lot, I'd get a spike in traffic and I'd have all kinds of problems. But I don't anymore. I thought it was your I, dreadful coding. It was okay. Yes, that that was a significant factor in it. I will give you that. You asked for that, saying that this yeah. bit's more interesting than my wonderful jokes. Yes. <laughs> so the part of the reason why it performs so well now, I've moved across to these uh, virtual servers, is that they're they're all solid state drives. These servers with loads of RAM in. It's obscene. So they're super fast. They promise. Uh, I'm not a great fan of uptime, but as uptime numbers go, this is a pretty good one. It, uh, their uptime number is 99.999%. So I was trying to work out how often your server goes down, and that's not very often. 
So they do automatic backups, which is great for me, as we know from yeah. when I said about yes. me trouncing the, the <laughs> Boag World database. Um, and they come pre-installed with um, a super stable version of LAMP. You don't even know what LAMP is, do you? I do, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm very tempted to ask you um, what LAMP stands for, but I'm not going to because I'm nice. Um, you get a choice of control panels. You can either have... I do Plex. know what LAMP is, actually, but it's, I can't really remember. I've, I've, I've got... Somebody helped me set up a local server, uh, a, lo- a site locally once, and I needed it. That's all I know. Yeah, I know. To be honest, I'm kind of... I, I I can set up LAMP, but I have to say it's really nice that it's pre-installed these days because I'm not convinced I would do a particularly good job at it. I have to say, this is why I have people like Ian and, and Dan that I can go, pretty please. Yeah, but you don't, they're not yours anymore. Yeah, I know, but, you know. But you just ring them up anyway. I ring them up anyway. <sighs> I know. I'm really bad, aren't I? <laughs> you don't um, care. So, uh, uh, yeah something like that um and so i got a choice of control panels as well which is nice you can either have plex or c panel in case you care about such things i i i know what both look like i couldn't tell you which one was better over the other but i'm sure for developers it's super exciting that you have a choice of control panels <laughs> um but what i do like is you can instantly install hundreds of apps which means that i it doesn't i again i can't break things which is good and it's got the latest versions, obviously, of PHP, MySQL, Perl, Python, Ruby, blah, 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 lots of other um, kind of cool things. They've got really good 24 support. Again, very important if you're me. And they scan for performance and security problems. Again, very important if you're me. And most importantly of all, it is very easily scalable. So you can scale it up and down depending on the load that's going on the server and all that kind of good stuff. So you can get a special discount for Boag World listeners using the promo code BOAG, B-O-A-G, for 25% off your web hosting. Go to boagworld.com forward slash media temple and enter the promo code upon sign off. Sign up, sign off, sign something. Marcus, what's your joke? Um, right, nobody sent me any jokes. I don't think anybody listens anymore. That's the only explanation for the lack of jokes. Being so sent I do through. get the odd one, but I haven't had any I can use. So we're we're, we're still on Tommy Cooper, I'm afraid. So hang on a minute. Let's set some criteria then in terms of what you can and cannot use. Uh, well, I don't use racist jokes. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't use. Pe- Dirty jokes, although right. although there is probably a line there um, that could be crossed. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I I can only say that I'll, so I'll read some of them and go no no no, and then oh right. yes I like that one. Okay, so it's more they have to pass your personal test exactly, and I can't tell you what the criteria is there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. Hey, talking about racism and sexism and things like that, <laughs> you, you must be deeply upset about Jeremy Clarkson getting suspended because he's your hero, isn't he? No. Are you sure, Marcus? No, I, I, I think that he is a very good presenter. Yeah, he is. Um, but no, he's a bit of a twerp, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think he's as much of. Um, I don't think he's evil like I think a lot of people think he is. They th- oh no, he's I, just a bit of a pillock, isn't he? Yeah, he's kind of public schoolboy 
um, he was. I can imagine him being a bit of a bully when he was when he was at school. And oh yeah, and, and he yeah. and he still has that um, kind of occasionally has that kind of let's just break things for fun kind of, and you just think you're a twat. Um, <laughs> but equally, he'll then do something which is kind of really kind of. That, that has a bit of depth to it, and you think, "Oh, hang on a minute, he has got a brain." So, yeah, I'm, you, you, uh, it's basically depending on what he's talking about is whether I think he's any good or not. So, if he was, if you were the general general director of the BBC, mm-hmm. would you fire him? Ooh, that's a tough one because it's all about money, isn't it? At the end of the day, yeah, I know. I mean, he earns them so much money. Doesn't yeah, he? but I don't, I don't know who the producer he was that um, had the fracas with. Um, but if it's Andy Wilman, like the producer of the show, I think he owns more of it than Clarkson does. But then you can like, yeah, no, it wasn't him. Oh, it right. was somebody else. So so it's difficult, isn't it? I very difficult know. one. Basically, if I was the if I was the the head of the BBC, I would take a very pragmatic view, and I'd say, Jeremy, I'd like a public apology from you, and I'd like you to pay this man or woman um, uh, some compensation, and then we can get back to where we were. Yeah, that's what yeah, I. Would be do. interesting. I'm interested to see what's what's going to come out of it. Yeah. Okay, I managed to stall this joke as long as I can now. I I think it's time to get it over with. I've got two. Well, I've, two. I've, I've, there's a hundred of these Tommy Cooper. Well, I picked a couple. Oh, they are short. They're very short. Aren't they, Tommy. Yeah. The police station toilet was stolen. They have nothing to go on. <laughs> I I like Tommy Cooper jokes. So do I. I think they suit your style as well, Marcus. <laughs> They're so short you can't really screw them up. Oh, I don't know. Uh, but this one, I, I really like this one. Maybe this is this is an English joke. Um, I bought some HP sauce the other day. It's costing me six p a month for the next two years. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite clever, but nobody outside the UK is going to get it. No. And you know, let's not explain it either. No. We'll leave, if they leave don't it know, if they don't know, that's their problem. I say. <laughs> I'm now channeling Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. That's this week's show. Now you're going to want to know who's on next week's show. Who's you? on the show next week, Paul? I don't know. Let me have a look. One day, one day I will remember to do this. No doubt it's going to be quite funny on you and wasn't saying. It is a good one, actually. It's Abby Covert. Yes. Talking about information architecture. Yes, indeed scaringly clever woman one day i'll t- i'll open it up and go oh oh it's just it's just so and so and it'll be a massive disappointment because i'm really bad at hiding how i feel about things yeah you are oh god it was a terrible interview <laughs> well we just won't we just won't publish it if it's rubbish no that's true although it's kind of an embarrassingly awkward situation of saying you were too shit to be included on the show oh we lost it you know it, there was it, the the file, oh, yeah. the file was corrupted there you yeah go. you're a much better liar than i am <laughs> you could do it see that's why you're the salesman you're a good liar <laughs> don't say that it's so not true People can see through. People can see through if you're making it up. Yeah, they can. It's very true. So, there we go. That's it for this week. Join us again next week for um, Abby Cover. Um, presuming that neither myself nor Marcus are suspended in the meantime. Um, pending disciplinary action. Um, and then we'll talk to you then. Bye.
Oh, my God.